Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hey, Micah. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's a bright, sunny day over here in Brooklyn. You know, I was uh, matching Pantone colors all morning, so I am thinking <laughs> in rainbow hues currently. For um, fun or for work? For work, for work, you know, at some point when we're doing print production, when things go to print, you can't just like use whatever color you selected while you were designing. You have to make an official PMS selection if there isn't already one there. PMS standing for the Pantone matching system, which can be quite tedious if there's like 12 colors you need to match because whatever you choose is going to be on there forever. So better make the right call. So I was working on that, which is like, I really do enjoy it as tedious as it is, but like it definitely is like a different part of my brain that I have to really use. I've always been jealous of the fact that you are so capable of doing those like difficult, tedious tasks. Like I struggle so much with actually doing those things that I often just skip them and apologize, you know? I guess so. I will will take on the tedious, sometimes ranging on the spectrum of mindless or very much (laughs) using the mind. But I think that's because I was like really good at math as a kid and Mm. I never wanted to do math growing up. But I was good at solving problems and working through all the tiny details of getting through a page-long geometry proof. Like, that was, that was my jam. That's a superpower. But that was, that was not where my future led me to. Well, in any case, before we get too into random topics, we have True. an interesting selection this week. We've got some fonts to show you. We've got some cool articles. We're talking about type cost and beverage branding. And there's a very exciting announcement that we are saving for the very end to tease everybody. If you see the episode artwork, you might already know what's happening. Yeah, I guess. I guess it's probably not that much of a tease. But we are foregoing a nerd alert topic per usual because we're so excited about this thing that we're launching and we wanted a chance to chat about that. Absolutely. So before we get all into that, what do we have that's cool this week? All right. Our first article, it's not really article as it is a microsite for a new typeface from from Pangram Pangram Foundry. It is called Echo and it was, it's a beautiful serif typeface that is inspired by the work of Echo Ishioka, who was a talented Japanese artist. I looked her up, it looked like she worked in film and on stage and in advertising. She worked from the 1930s up until the 2010s. And so this typeface actually is designed to pair really well with kanji fonts. So kanji is the, you know, written character of the Japanese language. And it looks like there were kanji characters that were created in companionship with this font. And, you know, as there is an echo thin, there's a Latin counterpart and a kanji counterpart. And I cannot read kanji, but it is very beautiful to look at how they kind of mesh well, have similar characteristics, but kanji in general is very calligraphic. So it's really interesting to see how this kind of very pointy, serif, elegant typeface is translated into a calligraphic realm. Yeah, I think when you first uh, showed this to me the other day, I was I, we were both sort of impressed because it almost seems like most of the time 
the type industry starts with Latin characters and then tries to kind of squish in, you know, kanji characters or other other languages. Mm-hmm. And this feels like it was very intentionally designed from the very beginning to make both, you know, f- first party citizens. That's a exactly. thing that people say. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, that's why ultimately I was so, so excited to share this with everyone because it really doesn't come around that often where we're highlighting, you know, work that has kanji in it. And the just staring at the forms of these kanji characters is, I can tell you, like, I can stare at this all day. It's so beautiful. <laughs> the way, like, the curves move and how dynamic it is, it's just so interesting. Also something that's of note with this typeface is that you can write vertically with the dot .vrt2 feature. Do you know what this feature is, Micah? I missed that. I don't know. Right? I'm not sure either. I, I don't know if it's some plugin that you can use in your your writing document software or something you can bring into your design software is to typeset it but they show it an example and it's not vertical as in an upright letter stacked on top of each other it's like rotated typography but it looks very great with the kanji written alongside it okay this is interesting since since you brought it up i'm i'm pulling up the complex documentation of open type mm. and there is kind of like a table <laughs> inside a font file which this relates to what we were talking about the other day too that like so many of the modern seeming font features that we're just starting to use have been around for forever we just never used them wow so this is like a tag inside inside a font file that is designed for writing vertically which i suppose could be used of course, for like vertically written languages, but I could imagine also is useful for like signage or something like that. Mm, yeah, totally. I didn't even get to that. And especially signage in Asian countries. Not, I haven't been to Asia either, so don't let me speak too, too familiarly. But I do believe there is a lot of Latin language mixed along kanji characters in Japan and other characters in Korea and China. And like, I'm sure having... A set that's made to make both of those look right next to each other can actually be really powerful in scenarios like that. Yeah. Um, so this is beautiful. And also one of the things that I noticed that I didn't at first was that they have like a free trial and it's oh. a personal use only license, but you get okay. the font to see if that's something you want to buy, which seems so simple. And I know other foundries do this occasionally, but it, I don't think it's like the standard practice for everybody to do it, but it makes so much sense. It really does. I always appreciate that, especially on a typeface that's like a little bit more of an investment. It's like, okay, yeah, like this is really going to be what I need and I could see it in use. Just a little fun fact about Pangram. Pangram, I've heard of them before. I don't know who ran it, but it is run by a man named Mathieu Desjardins, and he is not out of France, but out of Quebec, Canada, Montreal. Oh, Quebec. So, I used to go to s- Quebec as a kid. Really? Yeah. It's on my list. Lots of places in Canada are on my list. I need to make happen. But just fascinating that it's a super indie type foundry and love highlighting their work, even though the production standard to how this microsite was made and how beautiful these letters are, you wouldn't think it was like run like by one person i'm sure he has help but always great to see always great Mm. to see and side note unrelated to the font specifically i was browsing along in their blog and found an article called become a typography nerd in under 10 minutes and i was like well i gotta click on that 
mm-hmm. and it's great. It's like a very simple. They start out with you know one of my favorite things to talk about, which is typeface versus font. And mm-hmm. in bright yellow highlight, a typeface describes the design of the letter form. A font is its vehicle. And I'm like, yes, we're on the same page. I like this article already. Wow. That's great. I mean, I, I'll always, always take that. One other little amendment to this is that Mathieu Desjardins did not design Echo. It was designed by, whew, I might butcher this, Kiao Kondo, C-A-I-O is the mm. first name. I apologize for my mispronunciation, but just worth noting, and it looks like he runs, a, he runs a Inari type is his kind of classification. I, so Yeah, I always have see. to use Google Translate for things like this, mm-hmm. and I don't know, Google Translate seems to think it's Yo, so if anybody actually knows this person Yo. who seems very talented, that let sounds, us know which one is right. wrong. <laughs> that seems right. Love to see it. Cool. Amazing. Next on the list, we've got... An interesting article from print. It's a review of a recent pentagram rebrand. It's titled, Want to show that your organization is a support system for artists? You're going to need some brackets. So (laughs) pentagram recently did a rebrand for the National Young Arts Foundation. I think they also renamed them to just Young Arts. And they are an organization that has helped emerging creatives early in their career. They've helped people like Kerry Washington, Viola Davis, Billy Porter, and they are throughout several cities as well. And I believe they kind of have this storied history. So looks like Paula Scher's team worked on this, which isn't surprising. I feel like she works on similar organizations. And the use of brackets is the main graphic device throughout this branding and it uses the font Degular by Ono Typeco, which is fun to see because mm-hmm. that only came out I think a year or two ago and it's awesome to see it in use. I'm a big fan of it. And it's brightly colored and very heavily reliant on the typography. Paula Scher, I believe, says the symbol of the brackets instantly conveys the organization's role as a support system for artists. And they use this bracket in the logo. They use it as a border for editorial pages. They repeat it and use it as a border for maybe social media posts. They use it as a graphic device, which I don't have anything against using a bracket as a graphic device. I'm going to get that out there right now. Do I totally believe that I see the support system in these brackets being shown in the way they use them? I can't say I do. I would like your opinion, Micah. I, you know, my my opinion here is that it's just a somewhat unique visual element that nobody else is using quite like this. And that's what you often need in branding, you know, just to stand apart. And mm-hmm. then you kind of have to find some reason for the uniqueness at some point, you know, whether that's before or after the fact. You know, in the on Pentagram's actual portfolio, they have kind of high res scans of all the pages in this document and on the parentheses Mm -hmm. page they specifically highlight the relationship between uh like the two-story g kind of the way that the the letter forms taper off at certain points and how Mm -hmm. that relates to the tapering off the of the parentheses which is a fine excuse for you know making something similar while other things are different right like that's what I always talk about with affinity and contrast. Like, there's enough mm-hmm. contrast to make it interesting and enough affinity to make it related. I just have to say, as a formal, as a, 
formal presentation, if we're looking at the aesthetics of it, it is very pleasing. There's lots of visual interest. Things feel very cohesive. I will I will say that. But also, for their like reasoning to use Degular, they're like, it's a strong high contrast typeface that structurally echoes the brackets. And for me, <laughs> yeah. when I don't really find the brackets to be like super strong, I thought maybe like the choice of type uh, would have just like a little bit more fluff. Like I, I understand how it goes sometimes. Like you, you need to like make it robust, but I'm just surprised there's just not more adjectives going on in here <laughs> that relate to more like the humanity of this rebrand. But you know, in general, it looks great. The colors are great. You know, I, I, it's pentagram is gonna look super polished, super nice. Just a little bit startling for me, I have to say. Yeah, I, you know, I don't really, it's funny because we never know the context behind the actual project and the way that it ran you know it could it could very well be that they're like hey we're charging you a third of the price because we love what you do and so we have to work on it a third of the effort who knows i'm not saying that's what happened i have no you know but that certainly happened in life before and we can't see that in the presentation so there could be like 800 different reasons why they were like hey it looks cool there you go you know yeah for sure for sure well, it's still an interesting project to check out. I love seeing Degular being out there and used in like a variety of ways. So, and it's else. interesting to keep a keep a finger on Pentagram. They're like, yeah. you know, the most yeah. famous design studio at least in America. And Paula Scher has to be like her career is so long. I can't even imagine like how <laughs> long like how much she's seen and has experienced and has designed at this point. It's kind of like yeah. she's been there for decades and decades and decades. All right, next next article is a fun one. I really enjoyed reading this. It's by Type Wolf. It's a little bit old from 2014, but still interesting and relevant. It's mm. called TEFF Lexicon, the world's most expensive typeface. Wow. What a good I hook. I'm pulled in, you know? Right, right. Jeremiah Schof from Type Wolf talks about this typeface, Lexicon. And the foundry, TEFF, that released it. And he found out that the price was $391 for a single cut or $4,996 for the complete family. Mm. It's interesting because it brings into the question, how much should a typeface cost? What goes into the price of a typeface? And how people that buy the typefaces, how they're psychologically manipulated into thinking certain things depending on the price tag. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're, if there is a font where the family costs nearly five thousand dollars, maybe uh, the client using it will try to use it for as much as as long as possible because they really invested in it. Maybe the designers have an idea that because it costs so much, it really is a superior typeface. I think lots of interesting points are made when we put price tags that are that high on typefaces. I think one of the things that I really do love about this article is that he immediately tackles the very difficult and often hush-hush topic of how much should a typeface cost. Exactly. Uh, And he doesn't sugarcoat the stuff that people are always afraid to talk about. There's a quote here that says, people might accuse $10, he's kind of talking about, you know, $10 versus $5,000 fonts, and how people with $10 fonts price those fonts that cheaply with the hopes of making their products more accessible to the masses and hopefully getting more sales and that's generally true like low cost products you have to get massive number of sales in order to equal a high cost product you only have to 
make one sale or something. And he says, people might accuse $10 fonts of driving down the value of typefaces by setting their prices so low. I've certainly heard that about many, many industries, you know, including Mm -hmm. type. In reality, I think it is just a completely different market they are serving. I love that. Like, did not sugarcoat it, just boom. Here's, Here's some really good perspective. You know, talking about somebody who's creating a project for fun isn't going to spend thousands of dollars. And so there's, you know, people who need a $10 font and people who need a $5,000 font. I mean, and they can like, coexist. Exactly. Because if your client has a half a million dollars to spend on a rebrand, which is not crazy. Let me tell you guys, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's, been, it's happened and numbers far higher than that have also happened. $5,000, that's maybe not that much of their budget. It's not eating into it. And these days, when we have uh, custom typefaces made for so many brands, that's like, what? Mm. That could be like 40K to 100K. Yeah, for sure. You know, I don't know. Like exactly. minimum 20. Exactly. So, you know, so maybe five, in 24... 5,000 in comparison to that, you're right, is like a, a quarter of the price at, yeah. at least. So, you know, I'm thinking maybe in 2014, that wasn't as common to have people do complete new typefaces for brands. I think here we... Uh, are seeing it a little bit differently but i do i do appreciate that perspective being like if you're on creative market and all the typefaces are like less than twenty dollars and maybe you want to design a wedding invitation like there's no reason to be spending five thousand dollars so i just think it's an interesting perspective if you want to hear about lexicon i didn't really know about lexicon type wolf type wolf's jeremiah didn't know about it either until he talked to chris sowersby who i guess named it as one of his top typefaces and Interesting. I always love what Chris is saying from Klim Type. Lexicon was designed by Dutch type designer Bram de Doos. Sorry, again, pronunciation. <laughs> Not my strong suit today. So this designer, de Doos, only designed two typefaces in his career. And he was still considered a master craftsman of his trade. So I don't know if anyone That's knows wild. his first typeface. Crazy, right? The first typeface was called Trinité. T-R-I-N-I-T-E, an accent aigu. And it was after that, in 1982, he was like, I'm not going to design any new typefaces. But in 1989, the designer, he was approached by the designer of Van Dale's Dictionary of the Dutch Language. And he wanted to use, the designer of the dictionary wanted to use Trinité at a tiny point size for the dictionary. But instead, Didos, the designer, type designer, was like, no, I'll just create an entirely new typeface. And that's how we became, that's how Lexicon came into existence. So it's been used by a variety of publications. There's a Lexicon number one and number two. Number one has short ascenders and descenders, which make it great for small point sizes. And the number two is more for general purposes. So pretty interesting if you are curious. And there is one more typeface that is more expensive than Lexicon, and it is JHA Bodoni Ritalic. Available on my fonts for $5,000, but you only get one weight. So that seems like mm, I'm not solely interested in what's going on in their head, but definitely interested in this lexicon typeface because people have talked about it and have said how notable it is. I think it has its own Wikipedia page at this point. I, I truly think this JHA Batoni Talic is hilarious. Yeah, so funny. It's a, it's a backslant. I tell it and just like, ruthless. Who even wants that? <laughs> I know. I know. It's crazy. Hilarious. I, I certainly knew learned some new things in this this article. Yeah, this is great. 
I wonder too, you know, I mean, obviously we said this is from 2014. I wonder if that's still true that it's the most expensive if there are other ones that are like $5,001 or something, you know? But Yeah. And it, it always depends on the I like the, the conversation licensing. that it brings up. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Interesting. Very interesting. All I right. I think we should at some point tackle that, you know, more in like workshop form of yeah. kind of the business of being a type designer. I think that would be a really interesting topic to talk about. For sure. For sure. There's so many like aspects to it too that aren't discussed and you aren't going to really know unless you're buying typefaces or selling them. Yeah. Yeah. So not the stuff they teach you in design school for sure. All right. All right. Next up, we got, we got uh, Olivia's favorite place to find design articles. Oh, you know it. It's AIGA's <laughs> Ion Design blog. Really fun article. I saw it and I was like, oh, this is just right up my alley. So I'm going to make us talk about it. And it's titled Beverage Branding That's All About the Typography. So it's about this kind of maybe new trend, but maybe not a trend. I guess notable designs of spirit packaging. I believe they're all spirits. Maybe No, the last one's a lemonade. Of beverage packaging that does not rely on color, has nearly a black and white color palette, but instead does kind of kooky and interesting and quirky and new things with typography in order to add the visual interest into the label. Whether that's choosing a typeface that feels very different or laying out the type in a new way or, you know, making the type big and bold. There's three examples. Uh, there's Foxtrot's Play Nice Vodka, Peter Miles's Yola Mezcal, and Milja Emilia Corpella's Elda Iceland. My favorite is the Play Nice Vodka because it is fun and it's from Foxtrot who I didn't know about but they are a Chicago-based retail startup that does like on-demand delivery so they're kind of like a grocery-ish kind of like a grizzly that I think they deliver liquor right grizzly and so they do kind of food and beverage and they decide to design their own private label liquor and they wanted to make their own label for it and pretty interesting, the brand marketing director was like, we don't want it to feel like exclusive bottle service luxury, like like Grey Goose or whatever, Absolute. And they said, we want it to be an inclusive spirit that plays nice with many things, because in the end, vodka goes nice with many things. And it's just like this really kind of playful, goofy design of making it's called play nice the letters are really big and scaled up and they're kind of just like on an angle in this like amorphous shape and there's just like funny little illustrations alongside of it and i it's like would, a cartoon yeah 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 I, I don't know how well that goes when a kid passes this by on their parents liquor bar but i would certainly <laughs> like to have this on my top shelf I don't I don't think that even plays into it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if if you have children that are drinking liquor and shouldn't be, I think that's the the parents <laughs> issue and less the branding. That's fair, that's fair. But there is It'd be a one thing if they were like things. running commercials on Saturday morning TV. That's, that's true. a different thing. That's fair, that's fair. Like, um, hey kids, do you like vodka? You will. Right? Especially <laughs> it's, it's called up. play nice. It's all like right. very semi-juvenile yeah. <laughs> in tone of voice. But that was my favorite. What was your favorite? Well, I'm a little bit torn because I have such a soft spot for Iceland, which we I both know. do. But, you know, I think visually I was much more into the Mezcal. I also have a soft spot for Mezcal, but that's a different I was going to say. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, of the 
of those two, I just love the like extreme simplicity of the Yola Mezcal. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the bottle even is beautiful. It's like square and circle, which is just weird and neat. I was thinking that too. It's like weirdly it's very mimicked. Minimal. Yeah, and it's mimicked in like the typeface for Yola too, which is like this very chiseled the mm. modern feeling. But still with face. the circular O. Yeah. Circular. Kind of interesting. Has- I didn't really I didn't really get that detail, but that's very interesting. Pretty cool. I think this is this is funny cuz this is like the third branding packaging roundup that we have found in like the last 4 weeks, I think. I I guess we did talk about the Dyline Awards, so that was packaging. Mm-hmm. Right? And then there yeah. was, you know, we also had that one more than 4 weeks ago about the blanding Oh yeah, you know how like yeah. direct to consumer brands are upping their packaging game. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. This is obviously a trend, and I, you know, I think last time, last week or two weeks ago or something, I mentioned mm-hmm. that woman that I follow on Twitter for the packaging designs, and mm-hmm. so I'm constantly seeing crazy new packaging designs in my Twitter feed, cool. and this is like the tip of the iceberg i feel like there's i every yeah. single day i log in and she's tweeting more stuff about here's a cool packaging here's a cool packaging i love these as examples of minimal design that's not boring i think they each yeah. are very minimal they have a really they're really limited in colors one thing but you know i don't think they're that out there as far as like type combinations etc but i think it's a really great job of limiting the amount of components in one design and being successful with that ultimately yeah great point i totally agree you know great to see now is actually kind of a cool time to take a break and say hey thank you to our sponsors thank you to adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install embed use pretty much however you like we've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well if you're looking for those And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Totally. And thanks, too, to our members. Um, If you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, At the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. All right, Micah. Shoot, this is it. This is where we would have a nerd alert, but instead Mm -hmm. we get to talk about how finally, after a very long time, we are publishing a new font. Very excited. Our last font that we published was League Mono. Oh, wow. I remember when that came out because I was part of the League's team. And I think that must have been 2017. No way. I think so. That's wild. Maybe 2018. Yeah. In any case, you know, I think we've always been very selective about the fonts that we keep in our catalog, despite our, like, very open and encouraging nature of, like, everybody can be part of open source type. I think it's also important for us to, like, keep our catalog selective to say, hey, this is the stuff that we personally would want to use in a professional context. Mm -hmm. And this is the piece of that giant open source inclusive sector that we really want to put our stamp on. And so this is actually coming from 
somebody that we uh, love and care a lot about, <laughs> Trey Seals from Vocal Type, who we kind of know. I think we've talked about this, you know, in his interview, but like we basically know him because he signed up for a type design class that we ran. Was that in 2017 as well? I believe it was 2018 that you guys ran that early. Yeah, I'm bad at time. In any case, you know, Trey, Trey's, Trey's gotten a lot of well-deserved attention because he is not just extremely talented and I think also skilled, which I consider two different things. He also brings like a historical perspective of representing underrepresented groups and ideas and moments in history that are important to like the current social context. I told Troy this during our interview, but like, I just, I think he is ringing in a new age in type design where the inspiration is, you know, not coming just from, you know, old revivals or stuff that had a cat has a specific category in the A type I Vox classification system. Mm-hmm. He's not concerned about classifications. He's concerned about giving a voice to, you know, creations that were underlooked and have been swept under the rug for years and it's so true like the typefaces you see him make don't look like the typefaces that we have seen made in like Hmm. the past 30 years in modern type design they and it's because they come from inspiration that no one has tapped before he has kind of brought this to the attention so i mean i can go on and on about how much i love trey but i'll talk a little bit about the new black because that is the typeface that's being added to our catalog in the Vocal Type League collaboration. Trey Seals being the one that runs Vocal Type. So we're very excited about this. The new black has, in fact, been free on Trey's site where he sells his fonts, but it has not been open sourced. So I definitely want to talk about what that difference is and what it means now that the new black is open source. I think, Micah, you might be able to touch on this better than I can. Yeah. So, I mean, I think one thing is that, you know, we are providing all of the the files and like context behind the creation of the thing. And that's really neat. And uh, especially because, you know, Trey kind of has such a unique process for his design. You kind of get a little bit of a peek into how Trey made this font. And that in itself is educational and unique and kind of awesome that you don't really get from just getting the final font files as a free font. I think the other thing is, while there's there's always been a demand for like families of fonts utilitarian-wise and like usefulness-wise, I think we've also made a point to publish some of our fonts that are like one style. And this is one of those cases because it's an opportunity for other people to contribute to a font you know in in ways that we wouldn't expect or from places that we wouldn't expect and we've seen that so much over the last 10 years of you know forks of a font where like somebody went on their own and made something totally different even some of those forks ended up more famous than the original font which is interesting Mm -hmm. and it kind of brings like a new life and evolution to a typeface Where Mm -hmm. in this case, I think that's extra awesome because we care so much about what the typeface represents and what it was made for. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I think it's really cool you mentioned that there's plenty of fonts in the leak catalog that are one style and that 
you know, because it's open source, people can create their own weights, their own styles. I mean, someone can create the new black with inline, you know, negative mm-hmm. space built into the characters. They can create the new black thin or the new black extra, extra black and have it really, really fat with very tiny negative spaces. And so I think that that's really exciting. Some history on the new black. I'm not going to go into, you know, the full history. There's going to be plenty of that coming out on our Instagram. We'll be sharing some of the full history and on the website. But the new black is based off of the banners that were created for the Chicago Freedom Movement, which was a civil rights movement in the 1960s that was fighting against housing discrimination and racist hiring practices. Martin Luther King Jr. was one of the leaders of the movement, and we'll be sharing a fantastic photo of him with a banner for the Chicago Freedom Movement. And you can see the direct correlation between the letters that they created for this movement and the ones that Trey designed for the typeface. So really rich history. We'll be sharing that in the coming week. And then I just think the typeface in general, as much as like we can talk about kind of why we're making it open source and how exciting that is, it's a really robust typeface. I use like in the some of the communications I've written about the new black, I've called it kind of effortlessly powerful and I think that comes from the history that it is brought in from is such a powerful history but also kind of the weight you feel it when you see it it's something that mm. is bold is there to be seen and it's a it's an incredibly robust typeface I think I I counted the amount of ligatures in there since I've been looking at the glyphs very closely and there are over 25 ligatures and it's, you know, ligatures that harken back to some of the more historical ones, like the S and the T and the C and the T that we used to see in like old times, New Romans and Baskervilles. And then newer ones, maybe like an S and a S ligature, which is like very exciting to see how to be thinking about how our alphabet's being used. And then... Mm -hmm countless like countless ink trap alternates so for so many letters not the whole alphabet but for several of the letters there are alternates that have really distinct ink traps and that just adds this visual interest into the letter forms and the glyphs that is like really exciting to see and kind of gives reskins some of the letters in a new personality which i was really enjoying when i was making the specimens for the new black and um, using it to typeset so very excited to see those and see how people use those in the future. I'm glad you're talking about those details too, because you know I've, I've done my best to make the website really educational about what features it has and what you can do with it. But in all honesty, like I haven't been able to tackle all of the unique features. And so there's kind of some like surprises like you were talking about hidden in, you know, like you have to download it and start using it to realize that it's even more robust than it looks. So I'm just so excited about this typeface, and I know you are too, Micah, and this has been in the works for several months, and it's just going to be a really exciting publication. It's coming out today, so look on our website, check it out, download it, open it up in a font editing software if you want to see all those beautiful Bezier curves and some of the process behind how it was made, or go ahead and start using it on your next project, because we're very excited to see where it goes from here. And obviously a special thank you to Trey specifically for suggesting this and working with us on making this happen over the last, you know, couple months. And I think I think we're both pretty excited because this is also sort of an introduction to Trey being more involved with the league, which is a thing that I think all of us have always wanted. Totally. All right. Well, a lovely way to end the week, Micah. Yeah, I hope everybody checks that out and enjoys it. I hope, you know, Everybody enjoys the links this week, too, and our fun chats about it. 
I'm sure we'll be back next week with a unique and interesting nerdy nerd alert. Oh, yes. Do-do-do-do. Do-do-do-do.